Welcome to The Rock Church, a vibrant, enthusiastic, edgy church meeting in West Bridgeford, Nottingham. You can find out more about us by visiting the-rock.org.uk. We hope you were blessed by this message. A friend of mine has gone through a tough experience. He and his wife have... uh, watch their daughter die of pancreatic cancer and uh, not been easy a long way away from the Lord and uh, big big story and uh, she's died and there's an inquest and so it's taking a long time nine, eight, nine weeks before they can even say goodbye with her she was on the phone to me earlier in the week telling me the details there's a secular service and then there's going to be a, a Christian service uh, on another day and uh, he said talk to the vicar and we're going to do this and we're going to do that and I'd like you to preach and I said thank you that's an honor so I put the phone down and uh, I went to make a cup of coffee Dorothy and I and uh, we alright went to make a cup of coffee and I heard the voice of Jesus say to me, what you need to talk to him about is just this. Let not your heart be troubled. Oh, it just hit me so powerful. So, that's where my meditation began on Thursday. This service isn't for a week or two. And I owe Kathy an apology because she sent me a text on Tuesday and I never even answered it. What I should have said was, thanks for the text, I don't know what I'm preaching at the moment, I'll talk to you later. But because I wasn't sure, I didn't say anything, and then I had a lot of people Wednesday and Thursday, and it got to Friday, and she had to ring me, so I apologize. And by Friday, I knew what I was going to talk about. Let not your heart be troubled. So, but let's start where my meditation really began with it all. morning not where my meditation began but this morning I was just sitting before the Lord and I looked at uh, J. John has done a a coffee coffee table book about heroes of the faith he's been putting stories about heroes of the faith for some long time and uh, there's a calendar and I looked at today's this week's calendar and this is what it says Einstein said in his of his own achievements that they were because he stood on the shoulders of a man called Maxwell Maxwell in turn stood on the shoulders of Faraday these these are greats in the world of historic science ultimately what is far more important is the fact that James Clerk Maxwell sat at the feet of Christ and so should we that's what we just sang about that's what you got up and said can we stay here that's what if we really grasp the truth though this service may end we can still stay here because we can stay in the presence We've got to learn how to do that. 
So how do we, for a few minutes here, sit at the feet of Jesus? Jesus is the most amazing person who ever lived. Who is ever living and whoever will live. You could be a professor of history and studied all manner of things. But if you haven't studied about Jesus, you've missed the main point. Because he's the center of human history. He's amazing in what he said and what he did and what he prophesied and what he taught and how he guided and counseled and how he healed and how he accepted people. He was truly different. So let's read the verses where this scripture that I talked about come from, which is John 14, the opening part. Maybe we can get them on the screen. I don't know. Are we going to get them? No, I can read them. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Not a problem. John 14, verse 1 says this. I'm reading from the NIV. Do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms or mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, so that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Then they say, no, we don't. You have to tell us some more. Verse 6 then says, Jesus answered, I am the way. We sang about that too, didn't we? And the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you hold those verses in context and then we look when Jesus in the continuing context talks about the coming of the comfort of the Holy Spirit, he says this in verse 25, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the counsel of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid in your mercy for your own name's sake dear Lord do not delay so how if we're going to look at this and sit at the feet of Jesus what do we have to look at anybody who's preached the, the Bible knows that there's no good just taking a text and saying what some of the words may mean because you can get yourself in a ghastly set of trouble if, if you just pick verses here and there. Every, every text has a context, and without the context, the text can be misunderstood, and that can be true of these verses. So what's, what's the context here? Well, there's two contexts. One is the wider one, and then there's the immediate one, okay? So we're in John 14. There are 21 chapters in John the first chapter is like a trumpet call. It's, it's like a coronation. And those trumpeters, the buglers or whatever, stand there in Westminster Abbey and pff, they blast it out. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word was with God and was God. Boom! 
Nothing's ever been said like that about anybody else in this world. This is an announcement of something sublimely different than anything that's ever happened before. And then John, because John's emphasis is not about the humanity of Jesus and the things he did and the stories to be told and the people he touched predominantly, or it does say some things about those things like the blind man and Lazarus being raised and the woman of Samaria. His main point was to keep helping us understand that this person was God in the flesh. And that he'd actually come to die. So by the time you get to 12, which is just beyond halfway through the book, it says in verse 1 of chapter 12, that six days before the Passover and the rest of the book, apart from the bit after his resurrection, is those six days. So Jesus, who knew he was going to die, by the time we get to chapter 14, and he's saying to people, don't let your heart be troubled, he's going through a mixing machine in his head. And he didn't know he was going to go to a hospice and be given some morphine and die quietly. He knew he was going to have a really bad time because that's what the prophet said. He'd read Psalm 22. He understood about the bulls of Bashan, the evil powers that would be around him. He understood his body was going to be wrecked. And he's still talking like this? Step back through these chapters in this wider context. What, what does he say? I'll put my glasses on to make it a pricey. Otherwise, we could be here a long while. In chapter 12, Mary anoints him. In the presence of her busy sister and, his resur and her resurrected brother. Hello. We don't know how long ago he'd raised Lazarus from the dead. But they're all there and she pours oil on him against his burial. Then he walk, marches in triumph, or rides on the donkey, in triumph into Jerusalem. So still in chapter 12. And the people, he's mesmerized that the people don't understand what the prophets have said. That a Messiah was coming and that they missed him. If only they'd understood what this moment really was. And I don't know what that hey-o oh was, but I wondered whether it was the Hosanna of the triumph. Then he predicts his death. We're still in chapter 12. Chapter 13, he's still going on in his mind about this death. He takes his clothes off. He gets down to his underclothes. The servant's clothes, just a bit of a vest. And gets on his hands and feet and washes all their feet. Peter says, no, 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 no. He said, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have nothing to do with me. And then when he gets up and puts his clothes back on, he said, do you understand what I've done? Will you go and do the same? Will you love one another and wash each other's feet? Now, some people have turned that into a religious ceremony. So they wash feet at a certain time. It's, it's that servant heart that Jesus is a compelling illustration of. And then we get to this bit in chapter 14. Well, just before we get to there, we get the immediate context, but we'll come back to that in a moment. 
he goes on in this chapter to talk about the great Holy Spirit and him being with us. In chapter 15, he illustrates it more by talking about being the vine and then more teaching about the Holy Spirit with us and for us in chapter 16. And then we get the greatest prayer in the Bible when he prays for us in chapter 17. And in chapter 18, he's arrested. That's the wider context of Jesus saying, don't let your The immediate context, for those of you who are new to reading the Bible, the chapters and the verses, they're helpful because it's like going to a road with no addresses on the street and being told you've got to find a house. And there's eight houses with a red door and you're not quite sure which one is the one you were told to go to that had a red door. So the Bible has chapters and verses to help poor people like us navigate our way through this book called the Bible but sometimes they're not helpful sometimes they show where the story ends and another begins and sometimes the story just carries on now the story that we're talking about has got to be in a time frame of six days max probably in a day or two days and maybe immediately after what has just gone before and what had just gone before I'll tell you bad news and failure oh hello anybody been there anybody had bad news if you haven't had any at some time in your life you really haven't lived much <clears throat> anybody had failure if you hadn't had some failure you haven't tried much He says to them, I'm leaving, and you're not coming with me. They were wrecked. They couldn't take it in. We want to come. Show us the way. We want to be where you are. They weren't unwise in that, were they? No. He goes on then in these three chapters to show them how he was going to make up for not being there. I'm going to send the comforter he's going to be with you and make me real to you in a way that nothing else ever would have done just mind blowing stuff oh and by the way you'll all deny me Peter says I'm never going to deny you they all did and Jesus says to him Peter before the cock crows you're going to deny me three times this is outright failure. This is, this is Jesus looking for some help and support from those who claim to be his followers. And let's not Peter, put Peter in the frame on his own. He was a big mouth. We love him for that. He got stuck in. We love him for that. He, he made some mistakes. We love him for that. He got some stuff done. And tradition tells us because he didn't want to die as Jesus died, they crucified him upside down. But in this moment, he failed. Someone told me a story years and years ago, and I was a young boy, and I've never forgotten it. And you may have heard me say it before. Um, a man called Barry, who used to play a trombone, and was one of the ministers in a reasonably big church in Manchester when I was a boy in Bethshan. He, he, he used to 
tell stories and paint pictures in his preaching and uh, he, he was on about the denials of Jesus the whole trial before it was an Easter message that he was preaching he got this congregation really to the point where you know, it's all going off for Jesus and they're giving him a really hard time and some guy who was a bit short in brain power simple guy used to work and witness in this church sat in the back row he just in the middle of all this everybody's listening he went yeah. it sort of took the edge off the story but in reality it took the edge off the disciples story because they all forsook him and fled Jesus knows all this because he told Peter what's just going to happen and in that context of their bad news and their failure, he says to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. So we've got no excuse here. There's no slip roads out of dealing with this statement of Jesus. If he's telling us that our hearts aren't to be troubled, he is going to give us the power so that they don't. His name is power. His name is healing. His name is life. The word trouble means like putting a paddle in water when you stir and agitate it. So trouble in this context, in the meaning of the Greek, is to stir and agitate. Has anybody ever been stirred up inside agitated has anybody not been so this this message applies to us this is for us if we're going to sit at the feet of this amazing person called Jesus he brings us 2,000 years later into this context of bad news and failure our own our limitations are having been troubled in the past and tells us not to be troubled it's quite challenging so what are we going to do with it he goes on to say you believe in God now you meet lots of people and you, you get to the faith conversation and they'll say, oh, yeah, I believe there's a God. I believe there's a God. That's all right. Even the devil believes there's a God. The Bible says that specifically. Jesus says, if this is going to work for you, you've got to believe in me. It, the NIV says trust. The actual word in the Greek in the New Testament is believe. It's one of John's big words. It's mentioned at least 51 times in this gospel alone. This is the 49th time by chapter 14. You've got to believe. It's to have faith in and upon or because you know somebody is who they are, you can have faith on the reputation of who they are. You believe there's a God. You believe in God. Believe. Have faith. Have absolute confidence in who I am what I am doing and will do 
So if we're going to break through from the natural predisposition to be troubled in our minds, whether it's by anxiety or fear or bad news or failure or any number of things that cross our paths, we need to believe in Jesus. And let me say to you, I found Jesus when I was a boy of 10, which is 70 years ago. And it is my ardent belief that I need to discipline myself into believing in Jesus as much today as I did when I was 10 and first called on his name. Because life keeps pressing in, pushing at us. We live in a culture which is absolutely counter to everything I'm teaching you about. And we have to fight every day, the fight of faith, to believe in God and to believe also in Jesus. And let me tell you, you will not do that by just being stupid, mad, busy, the way this world drives you. You will do it by more consistently sitting at his feet. Practicing his presence. Being aware that he is with you in every situation. He will guide you in all the decisions of your life. What was the testimony we had earlier? I didn't have the strength to deal with what needed to happen. So I gave it to Jesus. He requires us to do what we need to do, but he'll do the heavy lifting. So don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be stirred or agitated, but believe in me as you've believed in God. One of the commentators trying to summarize this says, entrust your spiritual well-being to Christ. Trust him. Even where you can't see it, do what he says. And don't be indifferent in those moments in life when you're not sure what to do. Because I've had to say this to hundreds of people over the last years. Hundreds. They say, ah, I don't know what to do. I'm all... What's the Lord saying to you? Nothing. Okay then. So you're on the path, yes. Well, you keep going straight forward until he tells you to turn. And then if he doesn't tell you, you ain't turning. You say, this must be my turning. We were going to Leeds on Friday. What fun we had getting to Leeds. Our daughter and son-in-law, it's their 29th wedding anniversary today. And uh, they went up the M1 and got stuck in a mirage of traffic. And we went up the A1 and hit some other traffic. And I said to my wife got the picture on the camera and I know that road just off here it goes down through Pontefract and I get onto the M62 just there but there was a little turning just before the turning I didn't quite see that on sat nav so I turned no way through here only to a village dead end and Dorothy gave me some verbal you know could have, could have done without that at that moment we had to maneuver ourselves and we got off on our turning and made a straight path through. 
Listen, when it's time to turn, you'll know. It's like being on a motorway. When your turning comes, it comes up in big letters. God's, God's not, he's not wanting you to work out algebra. He's not wanting you to guess. He said, if you acknowledge me in all your ways, I will direct your paths. So don't take anxious thought for these decisions you've got to make in life. He's going to be there in all of this stuff if we'll only keep his presence close to us. Yes? Trust in God. Trust also in me. One of the other commentators said it, and I like this, because I think this is the essence of verse 6. I am the way. Is that an extra five minutes, or am I down to five minutes? Is that it? We're, we're all right. As my, as my wife said, no, no, it's okay. As my wife would say, make sure you get the plane down. One commentator would put it like this. Jesus says, I am the way, brackets, to the Father. In that, I am the truth and the life he is the truth and the life that's what John 1's telling us just read that for yourself again if you want truth if you want life in a world your truth my truth rubbish rubbish there's only one truth the truth and he is the truth he's the life no life John 1 says it's all come from him it's all through him and for him it's all sustained by him, Colossians tells us. He is life. He is the essence of it all. He is the creative force of it all. The word made flesh. The word that speaks life into everything. And he, as the truth and the life, is the way to the Father. So let's just run around that and then we'll look at verse 27 and then I'll sit down. In the midst of all this, of course, what is Jesus doing? He's giving them information once he's told them about not being troubled, about trusting in him. He said, I'm going to my father's house. It's got many rooms in it. And he, he also gives them some prophetic information. I'm going to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare it, I'm going to come back for you. The great statement of this is the end, the end of time prophecy, but it's specific in him coming back to each of us too. I'll come back for you and take you to be with me so that you are where I am. So they think they're going to lose him. He tells them not to be troubled shows them how in his promise I'm going to come back for you but in the meantime I'm going to give you a person who's going to reveal me to you be with you all your journey how do we respond to this in the last two weeks particularly last week and the week before I allowed my heart to get troubled about a number of things and the details don't matter what, what I've got to say is, Lord, you've got to help me to put this into practice myself. As I go and speak at my friend's special little service for his daughter, how do I find 
the voice of the Spirit to tell them in their sorrow, don't let your heart be troubled. It's about having the presence of Jesus. So if you if you know some of us are more, more disposed to catastrophic thinking and anxiety and fear, but whatever your disposition is in the end not matter is coming to the place where we hear his voice saying to us I can be with you to give you the power that your heart does not have to be stirred or agitated it's sitting at his feet consciously being aware of his presence and his promises and then he says it like this at the end of what we read peace I leave with you not my peace I give you I don't give it you as the world does we're glad about that aren't we do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid because of his presence and his promises your heart does not need to be troubled this is the word of the Lord say a couple of other things I've believed for a very long time that if we preach the word signs and wonders follow the preaching of his word yes I'm not bothered whether they're visible or not visible I believe that if we preach the word things change in people's lives things change in people's circumstances the supernatural power of God does stuff that nothing else can do yes he moves mountains. And as I sat in my room this morning, I thought of three simple statements that are all biblical ones about what happens when we believe for the promise of God. Sometimes the Bible says, at once. In other words, boom, immediately. Some other times it says, this time tomorrow. Boom. You know the man on the walls with the king in the Old Testament? <laughs> That'll never happen. There'll be plenty of food for everybody this time tomorrow. There will be. You'll see it, but you won't eat any. And this time tomorrow, they had news that they had all the plunder of a massive army and enough food to keep them going for weeks. And he got trampled to death. At once this time tomorrow or in the fullness of time so I don't know what it is you need but I know this if you have a promise from God it's either for now tomorrow or when God says we just got to hold on I was telling the story he said the Paul's a, a good as you are going to tell that story so a friend of mine was telling me last week finished with his son and daughter-in-law, they've not long been married, both graduated, one from Southampton, one from Durham, and they've been living on the south coast. They, they want to come and live near where their family is, not, not for the family's sake, but because they want to be in a church that they felt was where God wanted them to be. They're strong Christians, these two kids. So they came up for a weekend's meetings, and they'd been visiting 
from the south coast to, uh, to try and find a rented house. It was hopeless. There was 10 or 20 people looking at every house. If they offered a thousand pounds, somebody else offered 1,200. If they offered 1,300, somebody else offered 1,500. And they were, they were very, he's never around. They went out for lunch with a guy called Pete Gregg who runs 24 prayer, 24 seven prayer. And he said to them, not knowing them greatly, he said, I just feel the Lord wants you to know that something's gonna change. And all this disappointment about not something's gonna happen. I think it's gonna happen soon. I think it was the next day, it was certainly very quickly after they went to see another house. They were the eighth people there out of twenty that were that were gonna see it that day. It was nicer than the other ones. It was on thirteen hundred pounds a month. It was a bit bigger. They went in the garden and it had a lovely work office in the garden. And a young guy said to the lady, the estate agent, this is perfect for us. I, I've got a little business. I've got a worship business. I make worship music and prepare stuff for churches and all that sort of a little bit for me to run my business. She said, say that to me again about worship and Christian stuff. She said, I think, I think the landlord would be interested to know about that. He must have gone away and made a phone call. And the landlord said, don't let anybody else see that house. Rent it to those people for that money. Take it off the market. His father went to Washington, I think the same day, to the American prayer breakfast and all that sort of thing. Met a friend in the Hilton Hotel who said to him, I want you to meet the lady from England we'd never met before. So, and she came from the city where her son and daughter-in-law live in, but didn't go to the same church. And he told them that they were going to move. He said, oh, our family have got a furniture removal business. Just tell him to let me know him a van and move all his stuff for nothing. The father said he hasn't got any stuff. Just married, what few bits and pieces they've got, we've got in storage or whatever, whatever. So he said, well, they've got a house. Well, they heard by then they've got a house. He said, they've got furniture. No, no, we've got furniture. He said, well, our family also own three furniture shops. Tell them to go on the web and choose whatever they need to fill the house with furniture. And another friend who actually knows these people said, it, it ain't cheap furniture. And just tell them to choose on our website and send the order to me, send it up to them for nothing. At once, this time tomorrow, or in the fullness of time, don't let your Trust Lord, hide your word in our heart. Help us even when we leave this room in a little while to keep sitting at your feet. Teach us how to practice your presence moment by moment. You'll still our hearts and fill us with your peace and shalom.
Jesus' name.